Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, March 16th, 2023, the 785th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the merch site, and the social media by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Before we get started, just a reminder, I put out that Substack post the other night. I'm interviewing the great Garrett Ziegler tomorrow from the Marco Polo Research Group. He is the person responsible for writing the report on the Biden laptop. And so if you have any questions that you would like to ask Garrett, I will be asking him your questions during that interview. 
go to that Substack post, leave a comment in the comment section, and I'm going to take the comments and questions and relay those to Garrett during our live stream tomorrow. As I said yesterday, there will be no podcast on Friday. I will eventually release this long interview on the podcast platform on the Substack. So you'll get that in audio form a little bit after we put up the live stream on the Badlands channel and some other outlets. All right. So I was out in Austin, Texas last night to see a friend's band play as part of the South by Southwest music conference. And I ran into an old friend from Los Angeles who I haven't seen in a few years, three or four years. And we haven't kept in touch. We were just, you know, acquaintances in Los Angeles, mutual respect for one another, but never spent all that much time together. And he was telling me about how life is in LA as someone who is awake and dealing with everything that Hollywood presents to people who are awake. He is in the film business and still doing pretty well. And he was telling me how he had been biding his time, playing the game, and continuing to infiltrate. He has some projects lined up that I think will probably entertain people on our side of the fence, let's say. And he was telling me about how people out there are slowly starting to get that something is very, very wrong. He was telling me that he spends a lot of his time in his regular rotation are Salty Cracker and X-22. So as hopeless as the Hollywood landscape might seem, there are actually some people there who are thinking and acting independently and trying to be that bridge to the next phase. He's totally into parallel economies and parallel industries, and he's working toward changing the style of entertainment in Hollywood. So I took that as a very positive sign. We were having a discussion with a friend of mine who lives in Austin, and she was telling me about how she had recently gone to the opening of Joe Rogan's new comedy club that they built in the old Alamo Draft House on 6th Street in downtown Austin. And I guess the plan is that this place is going to be the new kind of mothership for Austin comedy, and it's going to be the anti-woke comedy club. And from what I hear, Rogan has done a fantastic job. Now, the reason I bring this up is because I've talked about Rogan on this podcast plenty of times. He's gotten paid $300 million from Spotify and has done, in my estimation, very little to bring people along and wake them up at the speed that can actually help them. He doesn't talk about election fraud. He's barely had a single guest come on in the last two and a half years who's mentioned it, was behind on COVID, on masks, on lockdowns, on the vaccines, on Joe Biden's legitimacy. And I've said many times that that's my litmus test. If you're not talking about election fraud, then I don't want anything to do with you. And I have a hard time respecting what it is you do. It's the most important issue in American politics, and it is completely ignored by the mainstream and by people who have made a lot of money and garnered a lot of attention over the last couple of years by keeping their audiences firmly attached to the central narrative. And yes, maybe they lead their audience generally and slowly in our direction. 
But that's not really good enough when the country has been usurped and vaccines are killing people and people are being made political prisoners and called domestic terrorists because they are just standing up for themselves or their country or their children. We have the January 6th insurrection lie. And it's wonderful that people like Rogan are figuring that out two years later. I know he's addressed it before and expressed his doubts before. But there is a truth to all of this. That truth is accessible to people who take the time to check and think independently and look on their own and figure out what's going on. And it seems like none of those people have bothered taking the time to do that. Now, I've always said, hey, maybe I could be wrong about this. Maybe these people are part of some larger information operation that I am not privy to. Maybe they are intending to lead people along at this pace in order to wake up all of society along a certain timeline that produces maximum effect to wake up the most people and get the country turned around in the way we need it turned around. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've certainly heard me talk about this before. So with that said, my friend who lives here in Austin, who attended the opening of Rogan's new comedy club, well, she got to talk to Rogan and she talked to some other people there and talked to a bunch of the comedians. And this is what they had to say. Rogan, when he moved to Austin, reached out to a certain community of comedians and essentially told them, here is more money then you will make in the next two years, double or triple what you're going to make in the next couple of years. Move to Austin, move your family, your kids to Austin. Come here, enjoy Austin. I have this project I'm doing and at a certain time, I'm going to call on you. And at that point, it's going to be time to go to work. And that's what we're going to do. And apparently it wasn't only the comedians. He did the same deal with security guards, bartenders, bookers, people who worked at comedy clubs in Los Angeles and basically said, do you want a new life? Do you want to start this project with me when I start it? If so, take this deal, come to Austin, enjoy the city, get better at your craft. And then when I call on you, it's time to go to work. And so. If that's correct, if that's what he's been doing and working on this entire time, I got to hand it to him. That's pretty amazing because by my friend's assessment and my friend is very awake, very red pilled, listens to my show. We talk about all these conversations to no end. She knows me well. I know her well. We understand one another politically for sure. And she was like, you would actually like this place. They are making jokes about COVID, about Fauci, about the vaccines, even about Ukraine. This is like pretty edgy. And I think they're really trying to wake people up. Hey, again, got to hand it to him. If that's what it is, and all of a sudden we see this wave of new comedy inbound that is all anti-woke and very up to the moment on what actually matters and they're going after the regime and the media and all this bullshit, well, then maybe Rogan has played his role perfectly. And if that's the case, I have got to hand it to him and we shall see. Definitely something to keep an eye on. The Hollywood Reporter published an article on it last week. Joe Rogan opens his anti-cancel culture club in Austin. 
Unvaxxed sperm reads the poster held aloft by a woman standing outside the theater, and you know you're in the right place. Joe Rogan's new comedy club, Mecca. On Austin's historic 6th Street, Comedy Mothership enjoyed its opening night after two and a half years of development. Comedy Mothership is the comedian and podcaster's effort to launch what he's described as an ideal venue for comics and an effort to terraform the Texas Capitol into a major live comedy hub. When tickets for the opening week of shows went on sale for a surprisingly reasonable $40 per person, they sold out within minutes. Tickets are being resold online for $500. And I'm not going to go through this whole article, but it does say this. The opening stretch of performances is billed as Joe Rogan and Friends, and the first night included Roganverse regulars David Lucas, Ron White, Tim Dillon, Roseanne Barr, and Tony Hinchcliffe, who's bringing his popular Kill Tony show to the theater and led the audience in a game called Kanye or the Jews. The audience in attendance was pretty standard for Rogan shows, which means they over-index on the three Bs, bros, beards, and ball caps. Within seconds of the first comic taking the stage, a gay slur was thrown out, followed by jokes about trans people. The audience hooted. For the anti-cancel culture crowd, this is their new safe space. And the writer from The Hollywood Reporter sounds excessively triggered, which makes all of this so much funnier. And so with that as a backdrop and thinking about last week, talking about narrative pausing and how we have to pay attention to the timeline here, it seems like events are set out on this timeline and disclosure is set out on this timeline for the stories to come back around and around again and pick up a few more people every time they come back around. I want to take note of this. So the other day, or maybe it was Sunday night or something, Drew Barrymore had on her weird TV talk show that she has for no reason other than to advertise the regime and the characters in it. She had as a guest that Dylan Mulvaney character. I think that that's his name. The young guy who pretends to be a girl and talks you through the first moments of his first trans period and talks about how interesting it is to be a girl and does this total caricature of what the modern female on Instagram is actually like and actually represents. And to be honest, as far as impressions go, he's kind of got the impression of an Instagram minded young millennial or Zoomer female obsessed with pop culture down pat. If that was an impression of a man doing an Instagram model, got to say he nails it. But they talked about their big, important trans issues and how trans people were the targets of harassment and violence and blah, blah, blah. All of the things, of course. And then at some point, Drew Barrymore knelt down before him the same way that our corrupt regime politicians knelt down for Black Lives Matter. And many of the white Americans in this country followed suit in public displays of self-shaming in the summer of 2020. So that show was on Monday and clips went around on the internet. And yesterday, we were still having mainstream podcast hosts and mainstream conservative influencers talking about this issue devoting entire episodes to breaking down Drew Barrymore 
kneeling in front of this trans character. Why in the world are some of the most popular conservative podcast hosts talking about this for multiple days? Honestly, it's a subject that's not really even worth five minutes. It is a provocation on television at this point, and that's all it is. Everybody knows about this issue, and everybody probably has their position on this issue. The vast, overwhelming majority of Americans find it absolutely ridiculous. But the trans stuff and the woke stuff is still an absolute obsession for the GOP elite and establishment, conservative incorporated, the DeSantis simps, all of them. They love to talk about woke stuff and trans stuff all day long. Why is that? What is the obsession with this issue? Now, I agree we share the same position on this issue. It's ridiculous. It shouldn't be taught or shown or promoted to children. That is an abomination. We should not be mutilating the genitals of children, we should not be giving them hormone therapies that make it impossible for them to reproduce. None of that should be happening. I think we all pretty much agreed about that a few years ago. So why is this such an obsession? We have banks collapsing. We have Reaper drones falling out of the sky. We have China leading peace deals between Saudi Arabia and Iran. We have an immigration crisis. We have the J6 narrative falling apart. We have the COVID narrative falling apart. The vaccine narrative falling apart. We have the Ukraine war narrative falling apart. We have the Twitter files and government censorship. We have the oversight committee accessing information that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Biden family was taking payments from the Chinese Communist Party. And what are we talking about? Drew Barrymore kneeling down before this trans character. This is the focus of people who say that they're on our side in some way. They're conservatives. They're very mainstream conservatives, very establishment conservatives. They really, really want Ron DeSantis to be the next president, but they're not Democrats. And they make it very, very clear they're not Democrats. The problem is. It seems like they're only concerned with the opinions of Democrats, except for this one issue. This is the one issue where they can talk to elitists on the left as elitists on the right, and they can have this productive conversation. It's the conversation that disagrees with the elitists on the left and the regime elites that they are allowed to have and not get in trouble for. Why? Because there is no real victim to this conversation. No matter how many times the Democrats try to describe trans people as the victims of this conversation, it doesn't work because no one believes it. And that's because everybody knows that all of this is bullshit right down to the roots. Men can't be women. Women can't be men, period. There's no other conversation necessary. So any conversation that gets layered on top of that, you end up lost in a conversation about the nuances of a complete and total fiction, as we discussed a couple episodes ago. This is the one place where establishment elitist conservatives can say that they fully agree with us in arguments in public and not get in trouble. They don't lose their elitist credentials for having this conversation. 
They can't really get canceled for talking about this. And it's the Democrats, of course, who are letting them off the hook. This is like a get out of jail free card. You have a hall pass to talk about woke stuff and trans stuff. And we can argue and I can call you a bigot and you can call me a leftist moron and we will still be okay at the end of the day. Just don't go anywhere near that Donald Trump stuff. Don't go anywhere near that election fraud stuff. Don't go anywhere near that insurrection stuff. We'll give you maybe a little bit of COVID stuff, but try not to talk about the vaccine. But you know what? You can have the woke stuff and you can have the trans stuff because everybody already knows that you're right about it. Because anyone who doesn't understand that the conservative position is right about that is utterly insane. Now, naturally, they do have plenty of totally insane people who really believe all this garbage. Those people just don't have the power to cancel people. So establishment conservatives love this issue because they are able to just project their very conservative credentials to the world while helping the regime by covering up everything else. That is what controlled opposition is. The people spending their week talking about Drew Barrymore kneeling in front of a trans guy. That's controlled opposition. That is those people wasting your time, taking you to an argument that was settled years ago and making it current constantly. Here's the new outrage. Here's the new outrage. Here's the new outrage. Oh, the professor at Stanford. Yeah, we had that five years ago. Is it bad? Sure, it's bad. Everybody knows it's bad, except for insane communists. The trans thing. It's bad. Everybody knows it's bad, except for insane communists. But they focus all their time on it so they can project their conservative credentials without ever really getting in trouble, without ever saying something that really upsets the regime and throws things off course. That's probably why it's such a big deal that Ron DeSantis is going after wokeness in Florida. Oh, wow. Hey, you want to go after wokeness in Florida? Let's get free and fair, legitimate elections where Americans are able to be represented by people who will actually represent them. Then the whole woke thing in the schools, poof, gone. You think George Soros and his National Association of School Boards are going to elect a bunch of communists to fill the school boards all around the country, once we have free and fair elections, there's absolutely no way that happens. Fix the elections, you fix the woke stuff. You think we're going to have politicians who allow transgender surgeries for minors when we have free and fair and legitimate elections and we can elect people to represent us who will actually represent our issues? No, we're not going to have those kinds of politicians. Fix the elections, fix the woke stuff, fix the elections, fix the trans stuff, fix the elections, fix immigration and inflation and the wokeness in the military and all of the Ukraine spending. We just sent another $331 million to Ethiopia. Why? That's taxpayer money, is it not? Did people vote for that? Did people know about that? Of course, no one would like hearing that, but we can't do anything about it unless we have free and fair elections. 
free and fair, legitimate elections fix all these problems. So why in the world are some of the people with the loudest voices on the conservative establishment media side spending all of their time speaking about these other issues where everyone already knows what's going on? It's because they care about the incentives provided by the regime and they care about remaining within the party of false decorum. They can't get kicked out for expressing these positions. That's already been settled. So they'll use their hall pass again and again and again and never focus on what actually matters. They can play fight against the regime about every other issue. Oh, we didn't want that. Not in that way. They're being a little bit too extreme, but I guess this is just how things go. If we don't want these things, well, we're going to have to win more rigged elections. That's what they normally say. But when the trans and woke stuff comes up, then they say with the loudest voice they can muster, this is where I draw the line. You can steal my elections. You can close down my kids' school. You can force them to wear masks. You can force everybody to get vaccinated. You can implement medical segregation. But the one thing you won't do is have TV shows where washed up Hollywood celebrities kneel on the ground before a trans character. Very brave GOP establishment. Very bold. You are going to save the country for sure at this rate. So let's talk about how things are going as all of these narratives break down and people begin to realize what exactly has been done to them over the last few years. This is a write up from the Gateway Pundit this morning. Rasmussen has released new polling numbers. The headline here is Rasmussen poll shows a majority of all voters believe Trump's 2020 campaign was sabotaged by GOP DC politicians. How about that? According to the Rasmussen poll, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has gained in approval since the Gang of 20 helped him realign his activities for the House. McCarthy has a 52% approval rating among voters. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell is not popular with voters at all. Only 31% of voters rate McConnell favorably. He is a total disaster. President Trump has a favorability rating of 52% among voters, the same as McCarthy. However, Republicans give President Trump a whopping 77% favorability rating. The poll also shows that President Trump, as opposed to McCarthy or McConnell, is considered the best leader of the GOP. Also, 55% of voters believe that Republican politicians in Washington, D.C. worked secretly with Democrats to keep President Trump from being elected in 2020. 67% of Republicans believe this to be the case. That is pretty incredible. 55% of all voters, according to this Rasmussen poll, believe that Republicans in Washington helped Democrats sabotage President Trump's 2020 campaign and two thirds of Republicans believe their own party helped sabotage Donald Trump's campaign. That is rather astounding. These numbers also include 51 percent of Democrats who say it's very likely or somewhat likely 
that the GOP politicians in D.C. helped Democrats sabotage Trump's 2020 campaign. And another 13 percent are not sure. Only 20 percent of Democrats said it was not at all likely that Republican politicians helped sabotage Donald Trump. Here was the wording of the question, just to be clear. How likely is it that Republican politicians in Washington, D.C. worked secretly with Democrats to keep Trump from being elected in 2020? That's pretty clear. And embedded in this question is the idea taken as a premise and taken for granted in this question that Donald Trump was sabotaged in order to prevent him from winning the 2020 election. Now, polling numbers are always up for interpretation and polls certainly aren't perfect. If anything, these polls underrepresent the MAGA contingent and the pollsters know it, by the way. So if anything, I'd imagine that these numbers actually skew a little low, but still 55%, more than half the country, this is all voters, believe that Trump was sabotaged by D.C. politicians with Republicans helping Democrats. And there's another little indirect signal worth mentioning that kind of gives us some hints about what's going on in the country. Donald Trump, with the January 6th prison choir, released a song last week that went very quickly to the number one spot in the charts and has stayed there since. Cash Patel was on War Room last week to do the official release of the song in the video, the January 6th prison choir. You may know that the January 6th prisoners sing the Star Spangled Banner every night. That was recorded and it was spliced in with President Trump reading the Pledge of Allegiance. And they put that out as a song on iTunes and Spotify and all the platforms. And it went to number one. Well, today on War Room, another song made its debut by a country singer, I think, named Natasha Owens. And the song is called Trump Won. And it says over and over again, Trump won and you know it. The fake news won't show it. And the song is absolutely filled with the no-no words about the election. Well, immediately that song is shooting right up the charts. I personally believe that nothing could ever be funnier than having Donald Trump in the number one position on the charts and having the number two song be a song called Trump One from a country singer that until today, virtually no one had ever heard of. And no offense to her at all. I love the song. I think it's hilarious. I think it's going to trigger the hell out of a bunch of communists. There's virtually nothing I could love more. But she had 700 Twitter followers this morning. So she comes from nowhere, and now she's going to have one of the top songs in the charts, and that's because MAGA is this big. We are a vast and overwhelming majority. A song comes out on War Room, people start tweeting it out and putting it on Telegram, putting it on Truth Social and the other sites, and all of a sudden that song skyrockets simply for the fact that it says Trump won and you know it. Imagine being some normie communist enthusiast of pop culture and seeing that the top two songs in the country are by Donald Trump and called Trump one. 
Think about what that does to their brain. They have spent the last few years thinking that Donald Trump is the most toxic thing in the world and that no one is allowed to say Trump won. They probably think this woman should go to jail just for making this song. So to see that at the top of the charts, ah, you got to love it. Now, I understand at this point that most of us would like to never hear about COVID or the vaccines or any of this ever again, unless it concerns people like Anthony Fauci being arrested and imprisoned and tried for crimes against humanity and maybe even treason, which they all obviously have committed. But unfortunately, they are still struggling through this in public So it's worth paying attention to. I guess we have to pay attention to it to some extent, just so that we know where the mind of the child brain is at today, because you need to meet the child brain where they are. You know, they're going to get new slogans. You want to know what the new slogans are so that when you hear them, you can say, oh, come on, commie, don't try that slogan on me. What do you think? I'm one of your friends. From down at the legal crack pipe dispensary or from the gender clinic or from Lululemon, you're not going to pull that one over on me, commie. And maybe you even give them a nice, you don't really believe that, do you? But it's always good to know what they're being told because then you know what they're going to be telling you. And so Morning Joe brought to you probably by Pfizer went out this morning and did another vaccine commercial starring the cast of Morning Joe and Anthony Fauci himself. And by the way, what happened to Anthony Fauci's retirement? He was stepping down as director of the NIAID at the end of last year, and he's still on television all the time, making the case that he is not actually a person who has committed crimes against humanity for the last four decades, even though everybody knows that that's exactly who he is. But let's hear what he has to say. That leads to the question, Joe, and would like the answer from you, Dr. Fauci, who you're the pride of Holy Cross College. Uh, and I don't believe you were in medical school with uh, Ted Cruz or Jim Jordan. But how many booster shots do you think we will be getting? Uh, there's one available now, but how, how long in the future will we be getting booster shots? You know, we don't know definitively the answer to that, but it is likely that this thing is not going to disappear. It's not going to be eradicated and it's not going to be eliminated. So it's going to be around, you know, for the foreseeable future. So it is likely that we will require an intermittent, likely at the same time as we get a flu vaccine, at least once a year, very similar to what we do to keep updated on our immunity against influenza. It is very likely that the similar situation we'll be experiencing with COVID, namely getting a booster shot once a year, probably at the same time as we get an influenza shot. So Fauci is still going, and you have to wonder why. People have realized that the vaccines aren't safe, aren't effective, and were never necessary in the first place. And that's why, by and large, they've stopped taking them. They realize that they're not appropriate for children and that children are in no danger, which is why they're not getting their children vaxxed and boosted. It's a very small percentage of people still doing that. 
And so, yes, he's out there shilling pharma products because they want to keep making money. But that's not it. What is he going to do instead? Just disappear, not continue pushing the boosters. If you stop pushing it at this point, after telling people they're going to have to get one once a year or twice a year for many, many months. I mean, he's still saying this, but this certainly isn't a new answer at all. But if you just stop saying that after telling people this is the plan, well, then what made you change? And at some point, you would essentially have to admit that the vaccines don't work, that they're not safe and that they were never needed in the first place. And they can't say any of those things. So they're still out there pushing it because people will get the impression, even though they're not going to go out and take more vaccines themselves, they're not going to go out and get boosted. They're not going to vax their kids. This sort of talk still leaves them with the idea that the vaccines must be safe and effective or they wouldn't continue pushing them. People in that comfortable normie center where all of the greatest child brains reside, they want the experts to tell them they have to do this extreme thing so that they can feel like they're thinking for themselves when they do a less extreme version of it. Fauci says everyone needs to get boosted and the normie child brain comes back and says, oh, I'll show him. I do trust the experts and I do trust Fauci, but I got to think for myself a little bit on this one, too. And I'm not scared of covid anymore. I've heard some bad stories about the vaccines. I think I personally will no longer get more boosters, but it's good to know that Anthony Fauci still stands behind his product. These people are truly brain dead. And here's another level to that. Yesterday in Time magazine, Pfizer's bivalent COVID-19 booster gets FDA nod for infants and toddlers. Pfizer Incorporated's bivalent shot for COVID-19 has received emergency approval to be used as a booster in some infants and toddlers. So it's under EUA. We're still going through that charade. Children between six months and four years old can receive the Pfizer BioNTech SE shot at least two months after completing their primary series of vaccinations. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration said Tuesday, isn't that great? Get your toddler all of the shots that we tell you to get and then get the COVID booster. Kids who already had a Pfizer-BioNTech bivalent vaccine aren't approved to get jabbed again because they're adequately protected against the most serious COVID-19 complications, the FDA said. Well, hey, kids have always been protected against the most serious COVID-19 complications because kids don't get COVID-19, don't spread COVID-19, don't get sick from COVID-19 and don't die from COVID-19 virtually at all, which is why not more than a few months ago, the director of the CDC, Rochelle Walensky, testified before Congress that she couldn't name a single child who had actually died of COVID-19 and not with COVID-19, although they probably don't have any examples of that either. Not real ones, at least, because, of course, you know. The tests don't work. The authorization 
closes an inoculation gap for young children who were able to receive a series of three monovalent Pfizer shots, but were ineligible to then get the company's bivalent booster. Oh, the screams and cries of these children when their parents told them, sorry, child who doesn't understand words yet, you cannot have Pfizer BioNTech's bivalent SE shot. And I know that all the cool kids are getting them, but you just can't have it. You got to trust the experts. You got to trust the doctors. You got to trust the science. And I know you don't understand what I'm saying, but you're just going to have to wait a little while. I know that word bivalent seems so cool and so high tech that you want it. You want it so bad, but you just can't have it. We're going to have to trust the experts. And if you're a good little boy or a good little girl, or we change you from a good little boy into a good little girl, well, maybe next year, you can become bivalent. And I just imagine small children writing out a Christmas list in their very childlike handwriting, just writing bivalent shot over and over and over again on their Christmas list. Please, mom, please, dad, please, Santa, let me get the bivalent shot. I'm three. (laughs) Oh my God. I can't even believe that they are trying this. I can't believe that they're publicizing it. It is inconceivable to me that there are parents out there still willing to just sacrifice their small children on the altar of the science. And that is what they're doing. We really need to stop pretending that we are this advanced culture so far removed from the Aztecs and other ancient cultures who would sacrifice their children to false gods. That is exactly what we're doing. Hey, I'm going to take my child to this little temple of science and put them on this cold metal table. Don't worry, it's covered with a paper towel. And I'm going to have them injected with a toxic experimental substance that can't protect them from a disease that can't kill them. I'm a good parent. Or I'm going to take my child to a temple of the science and lay them down on a cold metal table covered by a paper towel and allow the doctor to begin telling me how I might transform my boy into a girl for the science. I'm doing it for the science. Science says that gender is merely a construct and my child once wanted to brush his sister's hair, thereby making him a future woman. And you destroy your child's life, you maim them, you damage them psychologically forever, and you very likely sterilize them so that they can never have the joy of reproducing themselves. Not that you find any joy in it. But hey, the science says this is how we become good people and get the attention and admiration of all our imaginary friends online. And therefore, we have to do it. Trust the science. Trust the experts. End of story. But let's get back and finish out this crazy, crazy article. The bivalent shot is designed to protect against two Omicron variants called BA4 and BA5. Ooh, wow. It's twice as good. Starting in December, the FDA allowed infants and children to receive the bivalent shot as the third dose in their primary series of COVID vaccinations. The FDA also then authorized the use of Moderna's mRNA bivalent vaccines for the age group. And I know I make light of this stuff because what else are you honestly going to do? 
But what in the world is happening with parents who will go get these shots for their children under an emergency use authorization for an emergency that doesn't exist? I mean, imagine three years and you haven't figured out that children aren't going to get COVID and aren't going to die from COVID. Your child's going to be just fine when it comes to COVID. Maybe not so fine if you're a parent who still trusts the science. Booster uptake in all age groups has dropped, with only 16% of Americans getting the latest round of shots targeting Omicron. And there you have it. Only 16% of Americans. We were told it was like 70, 75% of Americans who got the original COVID shots. Now only 16%. That means that 60% of the country has realized that was a really, really bad idea. And this whole vaccine thing isn't going how they told us it would. Imagine the awakening that has happened for that 60% of people. Are they all the way to understanding that the insurrection was a lie? Are they all the way to understanding that Donald Trump won? No, they might not understand those things yet, but they do understand that they've been lied to by Big Pharma. And once you realize that, it's not a great leap to begin understanding that the entire thing was a lie. And the people who told you all these lies are the same ones telling you that it is the big lie to say that Trump won or that you're a domestic terrorist or the supporter of domestic terrorists if you attempt to dissent from their very violent insurrection narrative. Again, the whole thing is collapsing. These are signal elements that are indirect signals, but still nonetheless tell you where people actually are. Consider the advancement in our collective thought from where we were a couple of years ago. We went from people promoting medical segregation to coerce the uptake of these vaccines to now not being willing to take them themselves. And so pharma is pushing through their approvals. Anthony Fauci is still on television with the communists at MSNBC trying to get everyone in the country to poison themselves as a last resort in order to avoid accountability. And what else is going on in the world of COVID this week? Well, we have the mainstream news staple CBS News reporting this on Monday. Here's the headline. U.S. government agencies may have been double billed for projects in Wuhan, China. Records indicate probe launched. The U.S. government may have made duplicate payments for projects at labs in Wuhan, China through the National Institutes of Health and U.S. Agency for International Development. That's USAID, according to records reviewed by CBS News. What I've found so far is evidence that points to double billing, potential theft of government funds. It is concerning, especially since it involves dangerous pathogens and risky research, said Diane Cutler, a former federal investigator with over two decades of experience combating white collar crime and health care fraud. Cutler found evidence of possible double payments as she investigated U.S. government grants that supported high risk research in China leading up to the COVID-19 pandemic. She was hired by Republican Senator Roger Marshall, who took her records to USAID and the internal watchdog at USAID, which launched a new probe, details of which have not been previously reported. 
Cutler said she has viewed over 50,000 documents and that the U.S. government may have made duplicate payments for possible medical supplies, equipment, travel and salaries. Sources told CBS News that tens of millions of dollars could be involved. Sources familiar with the grant records did not dispute CBS News's reporting. A spokesperson for USAID declined to comment. A USAID inspector general spokesperson declined to comment, quote, on the existence of a specific open investigation, end quote. The press office for NIH did not respond to CBS News's questions. Sources told CBS News the investigation of possible double billing could take at least six months to conclude. Marshall is now calling for a 9-11 style commission. I think there's 1.1 million reasons that American taxpayers should care, he said. You'll have a plane crash. We want to find out why the plane crashes. We go to any lengths to do that. And the hope is we don't have another plane crash for the same reason. And hey, Roger Marshall, I mean, thank you for doing this work, but get better at analogies and whatnot, you know? While intelligence agencies have not been able to reach consensus on the origin of the pandemic, the FBI and Energy Department have found an accidental lab leak is plausible. The Wuhan Institute of Virology conducted viral research in the city where the SARS-CoV-2 virus first emerged. During a recent congressional hearing regarding the origins of COVID-19, the House voted unanimously on a bill ordering the declassification of intelligence about the origins. Robert Redfield, the former director of the CDC, testified that money from the NIH, the State Department, USAID and the Defense Department provided funding for high risk virus research in Wuhan. So he goes out and says it in testimony last week and then CBS News figures it out and can finally tell us. And you got to love how they keep calling it high risk viral research. Hey, it's gain of function. They were creating deadly pathogens and then making them more virulent and transmissible. But, you know, they were only doing it to be able to create vaccines that would then save the world. And every now and then it's worth noting that their version of saving the world includes depopulating the planet in service of their goal of sustainability. And finally, I couldn't let a week pass without doing an article like this because they're just so entertaining to me. And I hope they're entertaining to you. I, I think they probably are. This is from The Atlantic this week by Shadi Hamid. The headline is, you're better off not knowing. <laughs> I love this stuff. I'm sorry. I love it. For many Americans, these claims sound self-evidently true. Information is good. Knowledge is power. Awareness of social ills is the mark of a responsible citizen. But what if they aren't correct? Recent studies on the link between political awareness and individual well-being have gestured toward a liberating, if dark, alternative. Sometimes, perhaps even most of the time, it is better not to know. Like taking a drug, learning about politics and following the news can become addictive. Yet Americans are encouraged to do more of it, lest we become uninformed. Unless you have a job that requires you to know things, however, it's unclear what the news, good or bad, actually does for you, beyond making you aware of things you have no real control over. Wow. 
Most of the things we could know are a distraction from the most important things that we already know. Family, faith, friendship, and community. If our time on earth is finite, on average, we have only about 4,000 weeks. We should choose wisely what to do with it. So the very people have told us that everything is political. The personal is the political. One of our biggest goals is to spread awareness and we need people to speak out. We need them to call out the enemy. Silence is violence. What we need are allies. What we need are informed citizens. What we need is more state-run education so that we can create informed citizens who can better interact with their society and help us push the communist agenda forward. Oh, I mean, uh, not, not that, not that. We just, we just want smart people who are able to think for themselves. You know, that's what we've always wanted. What the writer Sarah Hader calls information addiction is nothing short of an epidemic. In a quite literal sense, politics is making Americans sick. <laughs> we just got told the other day that you need to get good sleep after getting your COVID shot in order to make the shot work. That's what we were told by the regime. And the regime is also telling us, oh, it's politics that are making you sick. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But the sole way to contract the illness is by seeking out the news and consuming large amounts of it. And that's a choice. <laughs> Literally, the people who are addicted to their phones, addicted to the television and never leave. Everything they do in their lives is app based. They need food. They use Instacart so that they don't have to grocery shop for themselves. They want a meal prepared for them. There you go. Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever service you use. Now the food is delivered right to my house. You want to be entertained? Well, here's Netflix. Here's Amazon Prime. Here's Apple TV. Here's Paramount Plus. Oh, we can have all the channels and we can be entertained all the time. Just use this app and you will have all the propaganda you could ever want. Does the propaganda no longer entertain you? Well, switch over to sports. We're going to send all the same ideas right down the pipe as you watch the NFL, as you watch the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball or just about anything that's not UFC, here are the commercials. Here's your false reality. Here are all of your new ideas. Now take them out to the world. Do you want to have the most fun ever? Well, take some cute pictures of your food and then put it on Instagram and people will really like you or better yet, go to a restaurant or go on vacation, take really cute pictures there and then post them on the internet and everyone will like you. Spend your day on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, on Snapchat, on Twitter. And if you think you might want some news at some point, well, simple, we've got that covered because your phone comes with native apps that'll just feed you news headlines from mainstream sources all day long. And because they're different sources, you're going to think that you actually read a whole bunch of sources and that you are very well read and well studied on any individual subject. Just turns out that all of those sources are regime oriented, telling the regime story and you still don't know anything, but keep on going child brain. You're about to save the world. But let's get back to Shadi Hamid telling us that it's better not to know. Haider chose differently. 
deciding to go news free for six months in late 2021 and early 2022, having missed out on stories that were speculative, overhyped or irrelevant. She reported being saner, happier and surprisingly more informed. But does it make sense for other Americans, perhaps millions of them, to completely rethink their relationship to political information and knowledge? In a 2022 study, the political scientist Kevin Smith estimated that between 50 million and 85 million Americans suffer from politically induced fatigue, insomnia, loss of temper and impulse control problems. And you can bet that all of those people deny the reality of election fraud and that all of them really, really loved COVID. Moreover, 40% of his sample of American adults reported that politics was a, quote, significant source of stress in their lives, while 5%, which would translate to roughly 12 million people, reported suicidal thoughts due to politics. And that is a rather astounding number that does not bode well for the future when it comes to the very most deranged child-brained communists, because that's them. It ain't MAGA supporters who are really in this fight, who are feeling like they need to kill themselves because of the news they're reading. And the problem is especially bad for young people. Last month, the CDC reported that depression and suicidal ideation are at their highest levels on record, with one in three teenage girls having seriously considered suicide. Well, that could be because their culture and their school systems are telling them that they're not actually girls. They would actually be much happier if they changed to something else, even if they just went around calling themselves non-binary or queer or questioning. And this isn't some random public school thing that only happens in Democrat states either. This is an epidemic at wealthy private schools in Texas. Boys aren't faring particularly well either. And of course they're not because what are boys and girls anymore? It's impossible to know. I'm not a biologist. Some observers insist that smartphones are the culprit, but smartphones are ubiquitous in all advanced democracies. These clowns, man. It's so pathetic. This writing, these are the very serious intellectuals on Twitter I'm talking about, and they exist on the quote unquote left and the quote unquote right. They're all these centrist, normie, elitist wannabes who've all adopted the ridiculous language of communism and recast the world in the image they understand. In another study, politically induced mental and physical symptoms appear to be more pronounced among not just the young, but specifically those who are politically engaged and left-leaning. Young conservatives, despite presumably also owning phones, experience significantly lower levels of dissatisfaction. Now, how in the world could that be? Is it because they have parents who are together, who love them, who instill a sense of purpose and meaning in their lives, who actually encourage their children to do things that they like, that the children themselves like, rather than what gets the parents more attention on Instagram? It could be as simple as conservative parents aren't teaching their children a destructive anti-human philosophy that actually doesn't map onto reality for those kids at all. And that is ultimately what we are doing, by the way. That is what our culture is doing. It is forcing the false reality 
upon everyone and people are struggling to reconcile the false reality with what they experience and want and desire and need in their own lives. Kids are the least able to reconcile this. So as we begin projecting the false reality onto them at younger and younger ages, we can expect by the time they become teenagers, they'll already be completely detached from reality, probably addicted to their phones and well on their way to finding a number of other addictions, even if it is just attention for declaring their alternative identities. In the United States, the combination of being young, engaged, and liberal has become associated with anxiety, unhappiness, and even despair. It's also true if you're older and liberal. If you're a progressive, wanting your kids to be progressive is obviously understandable. It might be good for the world, but it might not be good for their health. Isn't that incredible? How could something be good for the world but destructive for children? Unreal right? Like this is the stuff that actually infuriates me about these communists. That makes absolutely no sense. They know that they're destroying their children's own lives, but they still think that it's for the good of the world because the world as the television describes it to them is more important to them than their own children. And that's the sort of philosophy that will have you sacrificing your child on the altar of the science. The co-authors of the study on the politics of depression argue that since around 2010, left-leaning adolescents may have, quote, experienced alienation within a growing conservative political climate such that their mental health suffered in comparison to that of their conservative peers whose hegemonic views were flourishing. You get that? So it's not anything about the liberal mindset. And it's not the phones. What it is that is depressing these young liberals and causing all of this anxiety and unhappiness and even despair. It's conservative ideals. The premise here is that there is a growing conservative political climate. And on some level, maybe that's possible. But in terms of the culture that people are receiving... The culture since 2010 has become overwhelmingly communist. The pop culture is not remotely conservative. It is anti-conservative at every single turn. But nonetheless, any conservatism at all causes anxiety, unhappiness, and even despair among liberals and young liberals who are in the worst shape of all should not blame people on their own political side. No. That, too, is the fault of conservatives. They should just all go away so that the conservative political climate goes away because the real problem here is political climate change. According to this line of thinking, liberals, because of their liberalism, have good reason to be depressed. After all, life is bad. America is bad and the world is bad. As the Washington Post's Taylor Lorenz recently put it on Twitter, we're living in a late stage capitalist hellscape. But this is not true, at least not the hellscape part. Oh, very bold of you, Shadi Hamid, to disagree with the world class reporter Taylor Lorenz. And by the way, Taylor Lorenz has the brain of a depressed 13 year old liberal child in her 62 year old skull. 
She is the full embodiment of a middle-aged white lady who still has the same problems as a 13-year-old girl being overwhelmed with progressive liberal bullshit. Despite claims to the contrary, the United States is not experiencing civil war, nor is it under a dictatorship. It is a democracy and one of the wealthiest that has ever existed. Although far from ideal, the American safety net has grown more rather than less generous as measured by public social spending as a percentage of GDP. Unemployment is at its lowest rate since the 1950s. Child poverty, according to one comprehensive analysis, has declined by 59% in the past three decades. Isn't this amazing? According to the latest research, the newest studies, this is what it says about the world. Therefore, it's this and liberals are depressed, but we know it's because of a growing conservative political climate. Look at these idiots. These are the very serious intellectuals on Twitter. These are the blue anons and all of the people who are even a little bit higher than the blue anons. They're not as crazy as those blue anons. These are the very serious intellectuals that everyone on Twitter looks up to. Hey, come on my podcast. Very serious intellectuals. Tell me more about what you've learned from studies. We are beset on all sides with absolute degenerate morons. That is the problem. And hey, is it a little aggressive that I'm saying it that way? Yeah, sure it is. What are they though? Eh, degenerate morons. So I'm going to try to describe everything in the most direct possible terms as always. And that's where I came down. Let's see what else Shadi Hamid has to regale us with this wonderful new knowledge. Meanwhile, on cultural questions, the 2010s and 20s have witnessed one of the most striking progressive shifts in American history. Oh, weird. So it's not a conservative political climate. That's interesting. Conservative views are not hegemonic. In major cities and mainstream institutions, the cultural left has established a dominance that would have been unimaginable decades ago. Yeah, it's too bad. How did we get here? Oh, it's because of people like you. New norms around social justice, or more pejoratively, wokeness, now prevail in the medical profession, in the U.S. government bureaucracy, and in universities. What my colleague Helen Lewis calls woke capitalism has spread through corporations that might have otherwise been indifferent to justice, social or otherwise. Oh, yes, the indifference to justice of corporations. That is our big problem. What we need is corporations to be focused on justice. Well, that's what we've got. And look where it's gotten us. The rapid acceptance of gay marriage has been nothing short of remarkable. Progress comes gradually and then suddenly. In an influential 2021 essay, the writer Richard Hanania laid out an exhaustive case for why, quote, Almost every major institution in America that is not explicitly conservative leans left. Well, hey, I can add this. Most institutions in America that are explicitly conservative also lean left. But thank goodness MAGA doesn't or this country would be completely over. If this is true, why aren't young conservatives more depressed? <laughs> he wants us to be. That's what it is. Hanania suggests that it's because they care less about politics. But it's also likely a question of demographics. On college campuses and in major cities, conservatives tend to be a minority. So they have little choice but to acclimate themselves to a liberal environment and learn to interact with those who are different from them. Isn't that incredible? Conservatives have no choice 
because liberal ideologies dominate nearly every institution and our major cities and our college campuses. So conservatives have to silence themselves or pretend that the people around them really are not moral monsters. And by the way, I've been there. And also, by the way, I used to be on that other side. So I get it. And I can say these things. A 2021 Generation Lab and Axios survey of college students found that only 5% of Republicans would not work for, quote, someone who voted for the opposing presidential candidate compared with 30% of Democrats. Meanwhile, 71% of Democrats say they would not date someone who voted for the other candidate compared with only 31% of Republicans. Men, remember when those communists used to talk about tolerance? While progressive cultural norms face growing pushback, not just from conservatives, but from otherwise left-leaning communities of color, progressives can take solace and pride in having won most of the great cultural battles of the 21st century so far. Despite these myriad successes and victories, however, young progressives who are more likely to closely follow the news and care about it have developed a habit of thinking catastrophically. The old media adage, if it bleeds, it leads, has now been repurposed for the era of equity and inclusion. Injustices are systemic, the thinking goes, and beyond the agency or control of mere individuals. White supremacy is embedded everywhere, not just in our institutions, but in our language. Yeah, we really shouldn't be teaching people all of this toxic bullshit. He's right. <laughs> for people who view the world in these terms, being depressed is evidence of virtue. In the study on politics of depression, for example, the co-authors note that liberalism frequently signals a relatively greater awareness of social disparities that may be damaging to mental well-being, especially among less privileged groups who are the targets of societal neglect. See, again, they can win everything. They can dominate the institutions, but there are still people who things aren't really working out for. And what we need to do for them is bring more communism and then it'll be fixed because right now they're being neglected by society. And that's the real problem for young liberals. It's just the black and brown, the people of color, you know, the marginalized, the trans and the gay communities. It's all of them becoming really, really, really depressed because society keeps telling them that there are special little unicorns and that they have the most perfect lives. They are the most heroic and honorable people that human society has ever created. And nonetheless, they feel terrible all the time. What could it be? Oh, it's societal neglect based on conservative policies, of course. Meanwhile, the authors of a 2023 article in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology lament the implications of their own findings that knowledge of daily political events contributes to, quote, worse psychological and physical well-being, end quote. They offer the cautionary note that although it is natural to want to feel better in the face of stress, Feeling better can come with both benefits and costs. <laughs> oh, my God. Feeling better. Is it really for you? <laughs> 
Apparently, the cost of feeling better is that people may experience, quote, less motivation to take political action and may, quote, divert their attention away from the injustice, thereby minimizing their likelihood of taking to the street. That's what they need to feel better. They feel bad. They feel bad. They feel bad. They feel horrible. They feel like killing themselves. What do they need? They need to take to the streets. Go burn the city down. Go loot those stores so you can have new sneakers. Just blame it all on racism and you can do whatever the hell you want. Hopefully, it'll make you feel better for a little while. And if we make you feel bad, we make you feel bad. We make you feel terrible. We make you feel awful. We make you feel suicidal. Well, we'll give you a reason to go back and take to the streets again. We know you need to destroy sooner or later. So we're going to give you all these reasons why destroying is justified. And when we get to that point, you all can go out and destroy. How does that sound, commies? Thank goodness we have this research. Such arguments are morally questionable at best. Catastrophic thinking and negativity bias should not be encouraged, even if they lead to more just social outcomes. After all, how just can outcomes be if they come at the cost of mental health of tens of millions of Americans who have been taught to expect the worst? As the writer Matthew Iglesias recently argued, mentally processing ambiguous events with a negative spin is just what depression is. He adds, our educational institutions have increasingly created an environment where students are objectively incentivized to cultivate their own fragility as a power move. And Matthew Iglesias writes for Vox. He is one of the weakest, most soy based writers in the history of writers. And it's funny that he and Taylor Lorenz are both quoted in this article because they are the people who were those rich kid ne'er-do-wells now in big media who basically get to wield the power of censorship over all of the platforms. I covered this like six or seven months ago. I can't remember who it was who did this amazing thread on it, but it was exposing a number of these young mainstream journalists, not young, middle-aged, right? My age, early 40s, whatever, who were basically the most privileged people on the entire planet, but love to cancel people and love to talk about privilege all the time. However difficult it may be, Americans need to find ways to disengage from the constant assault of politics in a culture where everything is problematic, even if it's not. The drumbeat of everyday political events too easily arouses worry, anger, and hopelessness. Indeed, focusing on supposed catastrophes, including those far out into the future, can have even more profound effects that are at once odd and unnatural. Oh, such writing. Remarkably, the New York Times' Ezra Klein, also formerly of Vox, observed last year that the question he's been asked more than any other in his public engagement is, should I have kids Given the climate crisis they will face, this is the platonic ideal of catastrophic thinking. Klein's interlocutors, among other things, are probably reading too much news. If there was a way to consume the news without catastrophizing it, then that could be one path forward. But progressives in particular have trouble doing so. For them to be aware of the ills of the world is to feel compelled to speak and act, or at least to feel. Isn't that the best encapsulation of this child-brained communism we've been subjected to for all these many years? For them 
to be aware of the ills of the world is to feel compelled to speak and act or at least to feel. And that's as far as most of them make it. They make it to the feeling part. Sometimes if they're very, very brave, they make it to the speaking part, but they almost never make it to the acting part, which is actually pretty good because those actions again are taking to the streets and supporting a wide range of communist social justice awareness programs that are actually just infiltrating communism into our society and destroying lives and destroying the well-being, most particularly of the people engaged in that line of thinking. If we can't all go news free, which is difficult in the world as it is, we can at the very least establish a truce with the news. Information and knowledge can be and often are quite great, but they are not unqualified goods. Sometimes ignorance is, in fact, bliss. So just don't learn anymore. Don't read the news. That is the solution because the news is an objective thing right? It's true, which is why you read it and why you accept it as true. One of the news's main features is that it is objective in its truth. And it's an unfortunate consequence of this objective truth that it might upset you. You see, it's not about the way the media and the culture communicates these things in order to make people react a certain way. In order to help drive a political agenda, they're always entirely unaware of. It's only about the fact that the world is objectively bad and scary. And so if you can't deal with it, the best thing is to ignore it completely. Because the truth is, and this is what Shadi Hamid and the Atlantic don't want to tell you, the objective truth is getting much, much, much worse for these people. They don't want to pay attention to the news because everything they know is collapsing right before their eyes. The last thing you would want to have them do is find out about it. But you've told them over and over and over again for years, some people for their whole lives, that they have to pay attention to all of this. Their lives are worthless if they're not standing up for the less fortunate, for the marginalized, for the victims of our culture. And there are victims. The victims are always the liberals and the oppressors are always conservative. In fact, that's what it means to be conservative. You like oppressing people. So they've created all their habits in order to maximize their potential in driving the agenda forward. But now things aren't working out so well. And all the news is bad. All that news out there is telling them that people like Shadi Hamid and Ezra Klein and Matty Iglesias and Taylor Lorenz lied to them for this entire time. In fact, everything they know about the world is based on blatant, obvious, complete and total distortions of the truth to the point where nothing that they know is true. Everything they believe is completely nonsensical, but it's shown to be true in the latest studies and therefore they have to believe it. So what are they going to do when they realize that everything is a lie and all the people that told them all these things are just liars who actually hate them and want to exploit them? Well, that could end up kind of bad. In fact, for the very most insane among these people, they might end up committing suicide for real. And that's very sad. 
But the reason is because they've been driven absolutely nuts by these people forcing this bullshit down their throat for year after year after year and incentivizing them in every way imaginable throughout society and culture. Even in their work lives, they have to comply with all of the narratives. They have to comply with everything. They have no choice. No matter how detached from reality they become, they still have to obey. Well, it's going to be a long way down. And sooner or later, no matter how much you tell them to ignore what's happening, they're going to realize, Shadi Hamid, that it's you. I'll be back on Monday at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!